Good evening. God seems to spoil me. He allows me to always begin my holy week here at Christ the Redeemer. At least for the last few, I am very grateful. I pray that God touches you with abundant grace this week and that as you draw close to him, he will draw closer to you. And I make, I wish for you to make that your. So here we are again. Brano, third or fourth time. And I want to ask you, why do we do this? Why do you keep coming back every year? Why do we gather here at this time? We rearrange our schedules. We assign so much attention and importance to this time during Holy Week. Why does the church beg us to keep coming back and be immersed in this week? We just fasted for seven weeks to get ready for this week. What's the big deal? Is it so we can preserve the tradition of the hymns? So we can say folk tetigom over and over at nauseum? Is it so we can finally have a chance to read some of the Old Testament prophecies in a church service? Actually, I think it's because we want to preserve our record for the most matanyas performed in any church on the planet in one week. Actually, I was actually thinking about it a little. And I guess what makes this week the Holy of Holies, the holiest week of the year, it has to be the Holy One. I mean, the hymns are important. Not because of the beauty of the tune, but because of the beautiful one to whom we sing about and to whom we sing to. There's no pride in a number of matanyas, but rather the heart in which we offer them to the one who saved us. The icons, the decorations, the tunes, the readings, and the sermons, it's not for you to feel nostalgia. Oh, I remember when I went to Holy Week when I was a kid and those tunes just... That's not why we do it. And it's not for you to just shed a tear. That's not the point. So why should we go on such an intense, week-long, emotional, exhausting, intimate, step-by-step journey with our Lord Jesus Christ? Why? All I could think of, it's not a very theological answer, forgive me. I think, It's just to fall in love with him all over again. Just that. Just that. The church wants to remind us, just in case we forgot since last year, that this week is about the greatest love story that's ever been told. It's about an incredible Savior who's madly in love with each of you. And because we're forgetful or distracted or unfortunately so self-centered, We need this reminder. It's funny that we read this upcoming verse at the end of the week on Bright Saturday, Saturday, but I wish we read this at the beginning of the week. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I have a confession. Plenty of times... I have left my first love. And I run into Christians all the time who go through the motions. They've actually fallen out of love. They have no passion at all in their spiritual life or even in their church attendance or in their daily walk. And I've heard many people to say, I want to be in love with Christ again because right now, I'm not. 
Maybe many of us here might feel the same. And in a few days, it's sad, but we're going to think more about the, the food that we will eat on Sunday than the one who was hung on the cross for us on Friday. That's why we need this week to be reminded. Why is it so hard for us to fall in love with such an incredible, beautiful, self-sacrificing Savior? There's no one more beautiful. There's no love better demonstrated. There's no gift ever offered more precious. None. So why is it so hard? And this is offered to us. How should we respond? And that might be the most important question for you to consider this entire week. How should you respond to this? This isn't a show. This is an invitation. This is an opportunity, an opportunity to fill our Savior's dying wish. Our response is requested, and it's definitely warranted. It's definitely deserved. And I say, to fulfill our Savior's dying wish, I want to fast forward a little bit for you to understand what I'm talking about. On Thursday night, after the Last Supper, but before he's taken captive in the garden, he has a short time where he takes the disciples away and he gives very few commands on his heart to his disciples. You know his heart on that night. He knows that he's going to be taken captive. So when he says those words, he has very few words to spare. Every word is coming directly from his heart. He means it. He wants that to stick in the minds of his followers. So on that night, he says this. If you, it's, if you read John 14, 15, and 16, John 13 is when he washes the disciples' feet. He says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, which ones? Exactly. A new commandment. This is in the next, in these three chapters, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But if you keep on reading, he says, these I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy would be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And a few more verses, these things I command you, that you love one another. Have you gotten the point of his message yet? Have you gotten the idea of his dying wish for the people that would remain? He knew they were going to be scattered that night, and he wanted them to hear it from him. This is what I want, that you learn to love one another. How? As I loved you, I want you to imitate my love. Well, I wanted to examine briefly. I could never cover it all. Just to the smallest extent, the love that we're going to see this week and that we're supposed to imitate. How we can respond towards God and towards others. This is what God wants from us, I believe, in this week. This is just my opinion. So the first aspect of his love, it was illogical. It did not make sense. If you read in Romans, it says, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, listen, scarcely, it's rare, a righteous man, so, so for a righteous man, someone might die. It's rare. 
for a righteous man. Perhaps, maybe for a good man, someone would dare, would dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. At that time, it didn't make any sense. And I guess without a heavenly perspective, it shouldn't make sense to us. The people he died for were sinners, adulterers, murderers, gossipers, hateful, selfish, greedy, violent, you name it. Most of us and most people around would despise those people. You would want them punished. You would want them destroyed. You'd want them banished to hell forever. But then to die for them, that doesn't, it doesn't make logical sense to so many people. Were they worth it? Most people would say no. For those of you that are into investing, let me put it in investment terms. What would be the return on that type of investment? Would it be a high yield? He invested everything. He went all in. Such a high risk. Didn't he know that many hated him at that time? It says he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. He knew that many would not even respond to that love. He knew that many would turn away. He may not get anything back. And yet he did it anyway. It made no earthly sense. Only heavenly sense. That's God's character. And that's what he wants us to imitate. When we look at others, oftentimes we wonder, are they worth loving? That's a very sad perspective. Did we deserve God's love? Were we worth it? Sometimes that person that we're asking if they're worth it is the one we're married to. Or the one who birthed us. Or a struggling Christian. Or someone who isn't Christian. Are they worth it? Are they worth my investment? Many people would say, no. They wronged you. They insulted you. They don't deserve it. And so we say, I won't forgive them. They don't deserve it. Just remember how oftentimes you've asked for God to forgive you your sins as you forgive others just tonight. Probably 30, 40 times. When you ask God for forgiveness, what state are you in? Are you deserving of it? And yet you still ask? You have the gall to still ask? What if they don't return my love? What if I give it? It doesn't make sense. What if, what if I might lose out? What if I put more into it than what I get out of it? What if I might miss my favorite game on TV? What if I'm late to work? What if I have to stay up and lose sleep? Or what if I were to get sick? Would it be worth it? We say maybe it would be better for us to just not show love because it doesn't seem like it makes sense. It wouldn't be worth it. Do you think that's what God meant for his followers? For us to ask ourselves if other people are worth it. Or before you love, you ask, well, what will you get out of it? You want to know what? That's not love. Love isn't about what it's giving to you. Love, it's about what you give to others. What's an even more disheartening perspective is when we ask if God is worth our love. 
Do you ever ask if God is worth your fast? Your time? Your effort? Your obedience? What if I tithe? Will I get 30, 60, 100 fold? Will it financially make sense? Will I get a return on my investment? Does it make sense for me? That's actually not love. Love doesn't count the cost or the benefit. It just gives. Sometimes obeying God doesn't seem logical. One of our favorite stories that you'll hear about on Thursday is Abraham's love to God. His requests were so illogical. Just go. Just go. I'm going to send you to a place. Where? Don't, don't worry. I'll just show you. I want you to leave all that you know. I want you to leave your family. And, oh, by the way, I want you to sacrifice the son that you've waited your whole entire life and who I promise you're going to have a nation through. That seemed so illogical to obey at that time, and yet he did. And it was revered by God. And until this day, like 4,000 years ago, we're still talking about that love, that illogical love. And so sometimes you have to realize that God is worth it. Obey God even if it doesn't make financial sense even if it doesn't make social sense even if it's not making sense for your schedule just obey anyway that's what true love is actually you know the most beautiful love it's actually the one that doesn't make sense it's very imbalanced it's reading a story about an uber driver it's like in his 30s he was giving a ride to a guy in his 70s from a dialysis center. He had a 40-minute ride. And he's talking to him about his situation. And then the end of the story is that this 30-year-old donates his kidney to this 70-year-old who he's met once, and he's never going to get that kidney back. And it's not going to be in good condition even if he did. So he just gave? That does not make any sense, but yet it's so beautiful reading about a doctor, a Muslim doctor who passed away in Egypt recently. For 50 years, he served only the poor and he never charged them. He didn't request any payment. It doesn't make any sense. An American came and saw what he was doing and was blown away, bought him a car, gave him $20,000. So guess what he did? He sold the car so he could buy better equipment to serve the poor doesn't make any sense but it's so beautiful it's the best kind of love so maybe for us the random act of kindness the kind card to someone for no specific reason um to help around the house even when you're tired you're the one who tired maybe helping a stranger a poor person who knows not going to pay you back forgiving someone before they even ask It doesn't have to make sense from a worldly perspective. Number two, his love was humiliating. Forgive me if that sounds crass to use that word humiliating. We want to, we feel more comfortable if we say his love was humbling. But let's look at it closer. On the night in which he 
had the Last Supper, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, that he had come from God, was going to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? I feel like that's a pretty decent picture. The great teacher, the master, the one who's raising the dead and opening the eyes of the blind. You're taking off your clothes and you're washing. Peter's like, no, what are you doing? It did not make sense to him. It was so humiliating to be in the form of the house slave. Today, if you pray the Gregorian liturgy, which I'm sure you did, there's a time or you've heard it before. It says, He did not hide his face from the shame of spitting. What? That's so humiliating when someone spits in your face. You want to know what's even more humiliating? Was that he became naked for us. He tolerated it. He could have stopped it. On Good Friday, didn't the clouds block the sun's rays? The whole sky was covered. Could he not have done the same for himself and covered himself in cloud? He could have easily done that, but he accepted. He was willing to be made naked. He was willing to suffer humiliation on our behalf. Probably our greatest fear or shame is to be found naked. Sometimes this is the type of love that we need before God. Tomorrow you're going to hear about how we come to God with fig leaves. Maybe not masks. Let's call them masks. We act as if everything is, is just okay. We don't ask for help. I'm I'm a good person. Nothing to see here. You can just move on. I got nothing to confess. There's no shameful thing for me to bring out in the open. No wounds in my heart that need to be healed. There's no guidance. Everything, my behavior, it's all good. But sometimes what we need is just to fall naked, bare. He already knows everything. You can't hide it, but yet we try. Why not just be bare? Why not just be honest? Why not just let everything come out and say, God, I really am a sinner. I'm very ugly. I'm more evil than I ever thought. I got to tell you that sometimes when you go to the physician, sometimes you have to remove your clothes to be healed. It's actually the same with God. Not with clothes, but with masks. Sometimes we have to remove them. Sometimes this humiliating love is detrimental. It's what we need in our love for God. But what about in our relationships with others? How many of us are hiding something from someone we love? Because we don't want something exposed. How many of us don't want to admit when we've done something wrong? How many of us don't want to ask for forgiveness because of our pride, our fear of the shame? How many of us will set limits to our love because the job is beneath us or it's too dirty? It would be too humiliating to be with the sick or the disabled or the imprisoned. Christ was willing to be humiliated in his love. Why are we not willing to be humiliated in ours? Here's a story of Abuna Mishoy Kamil when when he lived here in the U.S. Abuna told us a story a long time ago that he had a very simple apartment and his income was $200 a month. 
and it was not enough. He actually didn't even have hot water in his apartment. He used to have to heat water in a tea kettle to take a shower. Before he left, he went to the board and said, I need more money. You got to give me more money. This is ridiculous. And and I needed to be at least 300. What was the board going to do? What a dim- He's so materialistic. He's Why was he doing that? He took the shame because he knew that Abuna Tedros was going to come with his wife. He didn't want Abuna Tedros to have to go through the shame to ask. So what did he do? He got humiliated to cover someone else. You want to know our beloved St. Peter? He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes the humiliating love is where we take the shame or we take the blame. And if you think about of all the people who wrote that, for St. Peter to say love covers a multitude of sins, if anyone who knew, it would have been him. His love was illogical. His love was humiliating. And his love was the ultimate sacrifice. That's no surprise to you. I'm sure you know that. Mother Teresa said this. I love this quote. Love to be real, it must cost. It must hurt. It must empty us of self. I think you will agree. Most of you look like your parents. Sacrificing a beloved child has to be the greatest kind of love. I can't imagine who I would ever consider doing that for. Our loving father held nothing back. There would be nothing greater that he could offer. And he gave it. Even Jesus Christ told his disciples on that night, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. There's no greater. He did the ultimate. His love showed no bounds. And yet many of us set so many limits on how much we're willing to love God. And sometimes we restrict our love to God so much, it seems almost like no love at all. It's a restricted love. The idea of sacrifice crushes us. So many people are afraid to get closer to God because what if I suffer? We ask ourselves, why should we have sacrificial love? Why can't it be convenient love? I don't want to really get exhausted. I don't want to give up my time for God. I don't want to give God out of my need, but maybe with my abundance, if I have something left over, I'll give him some money. I don't want to give up what I want. I don't want to give up what I desire. I don't want to give up what I enjoy. I just, if there's extra, I just don't want it to hurt much. I just want it to be convenient love. Is that the kind of love that he showed? And oftentimes we do the same for others at home or for friends at work. We do what is the least acceptable, the obligatory, or as in Arabic we say, I will do the minimum. I will restrict. I don't want to really feel it. But you know what? Real love is, is generous in its effort, in its time, in its sacrificing of self for others. That's the most beautiful love. I'm going to say something that you're probably going to hate me for, but St. Isaac the Syrian, he said this quote, blew me away. He said, set the limits of your love 
just at the limit at death. Oh, so that you reach the level of the martyrs. Okay, I'm going to ease it. Let, let's forget death for now. Let's try second mile love. The second mile is the inconvenient love. It's the kind that takes extra time, extra effort, physical, spiritual, emotional. It's exhausting. Be willing to be exhausted. Be willing to sacrifice for the one who sacrificed for us. His love was illogical. It was humiliating and it was sacrificial. And I got one more. You know, on the night when he washed the disciples' feet, it says now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, which we say in the liturgy, he loved them to the end. Wow. To the end. What does to the end mean? It means to the uttermost. It means completely. It means perfectly. He loved them perfectly, completely, to the furthest extent, even to his last breath. He was willing to turn to a lifelong thief and say, you know what? I want to give you something. I want to give you paradise. His love never gave up. That's who he was. And to paraphrase this great chapter on love, you know it, chapter 13 in Corinthians, the verse that I love, it's love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. It's a love that never gives up. When you love to the end, that means what? You never stop loving, even if it's hard. I've heard so many people say, I've had it, that's enough. I can't stand this person anymore. Many people might be on the brink of a divorce. I have friends that are on the brink and they're like, I can't take it anymore. I said, just wait till Holy Week. Just wait till, don't break up because wait till you see what love is supposed to be. It's supposed to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And that type of love doesn't fail. I don't want you to stop. Don't ever stop loving anyone. Because if Christ had stopped before he gave up the spirit, what would our our fate be? If he had stopped one breath too short, how devastating would that be? But he loved to the end. The most beautiful followers of Christ are the ones who never stop loving, even if there's no return. Even if the person doesn't look like they deserve it, no matter how hard, no matter how much the sacrifice. I don't think I could imagine a greater love than this love. So what if after this week, we made this our life motto? What if our desire to fulfill Christ's dying wish was this, that I want to love to the end and I want to never stop loving everybody, everywhere, anytime. So is it so hard to fall in love with such a beautiful Savior? Doesn't that love deserve a response? Greater than a hymn. Greater than a fast. The goal is to reciprocate the love 
that you've received. You've already received it. Let's not just be takers and receivers, but let's be givers. Illogical, humiliating, boundless, sacrificial love to the end for God and for others. Now, I know this sounds hard. I know. But you know what? After this week, it should become incredibly easier to fulfill after what you've seen. I hope we see the value of the one who died. And I hope we see the value of those he chose to die for as well. He chose to die for everyone. Then they have value. So let's realize the one who loved us and the one whom he loved and try to love them. And then I'm going to leave you with, by the way, we can't do this on our own. Our hearts get filled with love by God. So a prayer, I think it's a beautiful prayer that you should all pray, not just this week. It's actually whenever you feel like you need to love God again, say, God, inflame my heart with your love. Can you pray that prayer? Inflame my heart with your love, that I would love you and that I would love them. I pray that God fills this church and everyone who comes here with God's grace and that you would have an amazing response to his love. Glory be to God forever. Amen.